Amen. And we greet you in that name, and we greet you in that power that is within Jesus. Brother Davey read to us in the youth uh, prayer meeting tonight about God is a very present help, which is right now in time of trouble, in time of need. And if we come tonight in need, if we come tonight in trouble, wherever we are and however we come, God is a very present help. And he has the power to just pour into our lives and help us be overcomers. We need to avail ourselves to him. And I trust that you come with that desire tonight. God bless you for being here on this Wednesday night. John chapter 1 verses 11 to 13 says he came. Jesus came unto his own. And his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he power. To become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If we come in God's name, we come in his power, we receive him, he's going to pour out his power in our lives, and he's going to give us courage to say yes when he tells us to say yes. And he's going to give us the power to say no when he tells us to say no. God's going to help us do that. Let's just bow our heads together again and ask him to come. Lord, another beautiful, wonderful opportunity in this day of grace to sit and hear from heaven. Hear from God, the God of the universe, the God who's created each one of our souls, the one who has placed us here in this day and age of 2019, the one, Lord, who has given us the chance and the opportunity to make the decision to come to God's house, and to learn of you. Father, I pray that you would fill us tonight. I pray those that come with a hunger and thirst after righteousness would truly be filled. Not because of me, not because of anybody else that's here, but Lord, because you are here, because your spirit is here to fill us up with yourself and to change us and to transform us into the, into the power and likeness of Jesus. Once again, Lord, we pray that the enemy would be held bound outside of these walls in the name of Jesus. We pray, Lord, that Jesus would be exalted and that the enemy would be defeated throughout our efforts tonight. We pray it again in Jesus' name. Amen. I do need to just, before we get into the message, acknowledge two friends that are here tonight. Last night my parents were here and they brought friends and we've been blessed with their support. And I happen to know, actually, that this young couple, Carlson Funk sitting back here, and his girlfriend... A special friend, Nora Anderson. <laughs> uh, I, there's a little bit of a history behind that that I won't get into tonight. But Nora is actually, she, she's a Virginian. She lives in Virginia. And I'm not even sure which city you're in there, Nora. Madison. Madison, Virginia. Okay. And these folks, I'm learning the southern hospitality all over again as I'm here. And so I'm sure you all can connect with Nora. Carlson actually grew up two miles from me. So Carlson and I are from the same area, same location, probably didn't know each other real well until in recent years in a better way, a more personal way. And Carlson is actually currently serving over in Ireland at the Ireland Boys Camp. So there's a, a conversation piece for after the service if you, if you don't know what else to talk to them about. So welcome here. Thank you for your support, Carlson and Nora, and uh, God bless you as we worship together. I'd like to talk tonight about a subject that's not real popular, I'm pretty sure. It's called Hindrances to Holiness. We serve a God in heaven, dear ones, that looks down and calls us to a life 
that is full of his holiness, full of his person, full of his character. And he expresses his love one day to Moses. Remember Moses and Israel when he said, Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy for I am the Lord your God. Speaking of them and the children of Israel. The apostle Peter exhorted the people in his ministry one day saying, As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You go to the Apostle Paul there where he tells the church of the Thessalonians, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Yes. The Hebrew writer is talking about what chastening looks like one day when he says in Hebrews 12, 10, that our, for our fathers or our dads chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, speaking of God, God in heaven, he has chastened us for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. No man shall see the Lord. It should be obvious to us tonight just in a few verses, and there's many, 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 many more throughout the Word of God telling us to be holy people. It should be obvious to us tonight that we are called to be a holy people. And what does that look like? I'm pretty sure this isn't a very popular message that's being preached around in 2019 anymore. It contradicts, maybe it challenges us to a degree that we're extremely uncomfortable with. And I want to try to break this down and just give out some practical aspects of what it means to be a holy individual, a holy child of God tonight. Who wants to be called holy? I can remember as a young man who was somewhat reactive and in, in, uh, maybe turned off with the conservative people, if you will, as I was in my rebellious years. And I remember looking at people who dressed very conservatively and seemingly had everything put in order, but yet... It seemed like to me sometimes that they were looking down their noses at the Rahabs that we talked about on Monday night or those who were not quite like we were. And so I began to call these people holy rollers. I don't know what a holy roller is necessarily, but I began to, in my own mind and opinion, kind of form an opinion of these folks who seemingly were so different from the world, so different from us young people who was living through struggles and difficulties that it felt like they couldn't even relate to, and yet they were called to be holy. Is that what holiness looks like tonight? Is that what God is calling us to? What does holiness mean? So I look up the word holiness. Holiness means sanctification. Holiness means consecration. Holiness means separation. Sanctification, consecration, and separation. Holiness means to be set apart and to be different. It actually, that is what holiness is. It's to be completely different from what the world is and what the world looks like. How many of our neighbors tonight, maybe just down the road as they watched you drive into the parking lot tonight and come to God's house, how many of them look at you and look at me as somebody who is living life differently than mainstream Christianity, mainstream American culture today? And they know it. And I trust that there are, there are those who see you in that way. Tonight, that's what holiness is I want to talk about what four hindrances is, four, four things that we, the four spirits that we will allow into our lives that will hinder us from being a holy child of God and bringing God honor and glory. Hindrance means to get in the way of, to interfere with action or progress, 
Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. The first spirit, the first hindrance to holiness tonight is a self-righteous spirit. Luke chapter 18, verse 9, Jesus is involved in this story. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Okay, now listen carefully. They trusted in themselves. They were looking at themselves. It was all about I. It was all about me. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And because of that, because that was their focus, look what the next three words are. And they despised others. That's what a self-righteous person looks like. All they see is themselves. They see where they are strong and they see everybody else is not able to measure up. Self-righteous. Read with me there in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And he begins to list them off, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the list can go on and on and on. I give, I give money in the offering. I attend church every time the doors are open. I say kind words to my neighbor. I reach out to this person. And you put in there what you want to with the Pharisee. But the publican, in verse 13, standing afar off. I think we need to take a close look at this man. He would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. If you want to deny the power of Jesus in your life, just, just claim the self-righteous attitude, the self-righteous spirit. And it doesn't take long to sense a person who is just pretty self-righteous, who thinks of themselves pretty highly. It doesn't take long. You know, that, a person with that kind of an attitude is hard to be better than. <laughs> no pun intended. A call to holiness tonight is a call to humility. A call to preferring another above myself. Seeing the blessings and the, the talents of those around me over my own. And blessing God for them. Self-righteousness does the exact opposite of what pride. It does the exact opposite of what humility is. The second spirit that I see tonight that is a hindrance to holiness is found in Luke chapter 19. It's a critical spirit. This is familiar stories to us. All of these points are tonight. Luke chapter 19 was the story of Zacchaeus. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, but verse 7 is the main verse that I want us to focus in on. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. 
And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he saw him, and he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowds of people, those who were different, those who were called out ones actually, they all murmured saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. We see a man who was transformed. Whatever that conversation was when Jesus came into the house of Zacchaeus, as they sat down, Zacchaeus was a broken, repentant man. In spite of his past, in spite of what he had done, he wanted to see Jesus. And instead of the people rejoicing, they were murmuring and complaining and grumbling at what they saw. He said, I will restore him fourfold. There was a change happened in Zacchaeus' life. Verse 9, Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. That is Jesus' mission. And you know what? Wherever you find sinners, wherever you saw sinners in Jesus' day, Jesus was there. He wanted to be there because that was what, who he was there to seek out. That is who he sought after. He didn't come to have to save the saved. <laughs> he came to seek out and to save that which was lost. Now, criticism, critical hearts. We're going to spend some time on these hindrances to holiness tonight. And flesh out a little bit what it looks like. So why did these people not rejoice? When they, they saw Zacchaeus' past, they saw his faults, they saw his sins, they saw where he cheated them, they saw where he took money, and they saw he was rich, and they were upset with him, they were jealous of him, they were, they were, they were not happy with him. And so they grumbled and complained. Even when Jesus came by and, st- and stopped and looked up into that tree, Jesus knew where Jack, uh, Zacchaeus was. And why didn't he look at anybody else? And he probably did. But he noticed Zacchaeus, just a wee little man, just a little fellow that wasn't able to see. Jesus noticed him. And he says, come down. And we know this story so very well. Let's talk about criticisms here in verse 7. When they saw it, they murmured. Why? Why did they murmur? Why didn't they rejoice and praise God and rejoice over the sinner that was saved? I mean, it was, it was Zacchaeus, the chief of sinners, the worst among them. And yet they didn't rejoice. They murmured, huh, Jesus is going to go to Zacchaeus' house? This brother has been so very faithful at bringing me this water this week. I have a question for you tonight that you get to answer in your own heart and mind, is this cup, now let's, this cup is almost, it's over three quarters full. This brother really is, is here to meet my needs tonight, I think. In fact, while y'all are watching, let me just drink a little. I love cold, ice cold water, and it is very good. Thank you. But let's suppose that this water was down here about half, well, you tell me, this is the question. Is this cup half, half empty, or would it be half full? Half empty or half full? If I drink it, it's going to be half empty. If I fill it up, it's going to be half full. Good answer, Ralphie. <laughs> this cup's half empty or is it half full? 
There's a lot of people who will say that cup is half empty. And there's a lot of people who will say that cup is half full. Now, if I stood up here tonight and I said, come on, brother, why couldn't you fill that cup? I mean, come on, there's like another inch or inch and a half there left. I mean, I'll, I am thirsty, and you expect me to come up here and preach every night this week, and you aren't willing to fill this cup clear full, and I can continue to really grumble and complain and say, what in the world are you thinking? Why wouldn't you give me more water? Boy, that was a critical spirit, wasn't it? Or I can say, who am I? To receive a cup of cold water that is three-quarters full, that when my voice would dry up, I can receive this water, I can drink it, and it's going to be more there than what I even need for this service. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for looking out for my need tonight as we preach the word and supplying this water for me. And I bless you for it in the name of Jesus as you give a cup of cold water to my need. Which person do you like to be around? Which person do you want to be around? Which person are you tonight? As we think of hindrances to holiness and having a critical spirit, a person who is just always putting down and really upset and not happy. You know what? One of the first things you notice in a, in a critical spirit is a person who is not happy. They do not have the joy of the Lord in their life. They are miserable and misery loves company. If I'm not enjoying myself, I don't want you to, Brother Brother Jonathan, I don't want you to be enjoying yourself. Because you might be enjoying something in life more than what I am. And see, I choose, we have to choose every day what to focus on, whether this cup is half full or half empty. That's pretty small, isn't it? That's a pretty simple decision. But so often we're grumbling and complaining that that cup is only half empty, only half full. And the people saw the sinner instead of the repentant heart. They saw the sinner instead of the repentant heart. They had disgust and hopelessness and hatred and jealousy and bitterness towards Zacchaeus. And that was what was in front of them. And that's all they could see. And that's why they weren't happy when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. How many people do we turn away from seeing Jesus because we see the cup half empty and our hearts are critical because we say they deserve what they got they deserve what they have if you knew what they did to me if you knew how they acted over here and you can put every excuse in the book to them to justify why you're willing why you're able to feel critically towards that individual I want to tell you friends that's going to bar us in our relationship with God Jesus wasn't willing to live there. Jesus wasn't willing to stay there. Jesus never was there. And he, he was trying to help those that he was saving. He was trying to teach them a lesson here, I think, with Zacchaeus. We look, at, we look at each other through carnal eyes when we do that. The story is told of a man who, was, who had a thimble on his finger trying to sew a button on his shirt. And the reason he was doing that is because his wife would not do that for him and so as he's doing this the wife begins to look at him and criticize him and say you know you got the thimble on the wrong finger and you know what the husband's response was I know it should be on yours (laughs) (laughs) 
Many times we find ourselves critical of the way someone else is doing a particular job. We think if they would just do it this way or that way, if they could just, if the preacher could just learn how to speak a little better or be a little more passionate or just something, if the Sunday school teacher would just stop going over here or the prayer, the prayer team leader would just, and we, you know, whoever's up in front and is in charge is open for criticism, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that we could, it's easy to sit in the pew and to criticize the person who's trying to worship and serve the Lord and lead it, lead it in a way that brings him honor and glory. And it's easier for you to hide in the pew and to, just, and to judge and to condemn and to criticize. Or isn't it? Isn't that even among us? That's not even among our thinking, right? Especially in our conservative groups where we have loved, we, we, we gather in to worship God and to be full of his spirit. We don't have time to condemn each other and to see the faults of one another in the brotherhood, Right? And maybe if we would do our fair share of the work and offer some kind words of encouragement or come alongside of and aid and guide, it would be better for us both to put on the thimble and work it out together, right? This, This spirit of criticism is a hindrance, a tremendous hindrance in the body of Christ, not just for the body, but for those outside who wants to come in and be a part of. A man and his wife pull into a gas station. This was years ago. How many of you remember whenever you pulled in to get gas, there would be a gas station attendant there to fill up your, okay. All right, y'all are showing your age, okay. I don't know how many years ago that's been that that's changed. I don't remember that really. But this man and his wife, they pull into the, to the gas station, and the attendant is filling up their, their uh, car. And while he's filling up their car, he's washing the windshield. I assume that that's the way they did it back then. They washed the windshield while you sat there and waited. This man sitting in the driver's seat and the, and the young uh, attendant that was caring for his vehicle was finished and the man told him, what are you thinking? This windshield is still dirty. Sir, would you please wash the windshield again? And he didn't say it in the kindest manner. And so the, the, young, the attendant thought he had cleaned it up fairly well, but he said, okay. And so he looked for any bugs and dirt that he missed. And so he washed that windshield again. He finished it, and the man became irate. He said, what do you think you're doing? This windshield is still dirty. I pulled in here for you to clean it up. Don't leave the spots on the windshield. And he was becoming really irate at this point. And so for the third time, this young attendant begins to continually wash the windshield. And the man just lost it. He said, I'm going to make sure. He just hollered and yelled that this is the last day that you have a job here. I'm going in to talk to your boss. He needs to get rid of you. You're not doing your job well. And as he was getting ready to get out of the car and go in to talk to this young man's boss, his wife decided to reach over and take off his glasses. And she brought it over and she had a, a, a little napkin that she was cleaning off his glasses with. And she cleaned them off and she slipped them back over onto the eyes of her, of her husband. Where the man, as he looked again at the windshield, embarrassingly slumped down into a seat, observing a spotless windshield. And the lesson is this. When we look at each other in critical eyes, we're actually looking through the lenses of our dirty heart, ourself. It's not the dirt on their life, it's the dirt on my life. And it's the lenses of criticism on my heart, the dirt on my heart that has given me that perspective. And I don't know. Anybody who has any place of leadership or mentoring people or walking alongside of people and trying to help, anyone who cares deeply about people learns what it is to be criticized and to be 
spotted out and how to grow. And we need some positive criticism. I do. I am far from perfect, and I want to just acknowledge that and confess that to you tonight. But there's also a truth that if you feel like you're that person that is being scrutinized and criticized and you just can't get away from it and you're weary of these people just wearing you down, take courage. That we'll never, we'll never please the critics in life. And we need to stop worrying about the critics on the other side of the coin. A, a father, a son, and their donkey. Traveling from one village to another, the boy walked while the man rode the donkey. The father overheard a bystander say, that's a shame. Look how that man is making that poor boy walk. Not wanting to be the object of criticism, the father and the son, they changed places. So the, now the boy rode the donkey while the man walked. And then what did he hear? A woman commenting, saying, look how that boy on the donkey is making that poor man walk. So the dad and the son, what do they do? They both climb onto the donkey. And as they traveled down the road, someone said, look how that man and boy are making that poor donkey suffer. So they both get off. Because they can't make anybody happy. So they both get off and they walk with the donkey. And the people remark, look at that stupid man and boy. They're walking when they could be riding that donkey. So when they enter the next village, what do you think you saw? The boy was walking and the man was carrying the donkey. (laughs) No matter what we do in life, somebody will find fault with it. But friends, it does not have to be you and it does not have to be me. A critical spirit is a hindrance to holiness. Point number three tonight. We have a self-righteous spirit. Secondly, we have a critical spirit. And thirdly, we have an unforgiving spirit that is a hindrance, a tremendous hindrance to holiness. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we know this parable, this story as well. Verses 21 to the end of the chapter. Peter comes along. He comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, how often do I need to forgive my brother? How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, No, not seven times, but 490 times. Seventy times seven. And then after 490 times, then you don't have to forgive anymore. Is that what Jesus' message was here? Verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, 
Oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you and me, if we from our hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. I don't know how close home this comes to us tonight. Whether it's a self-righteous spirit, a critical spirit, an unforgiving spirit here tonight. But I've been, I've been living in the real world, like you've been living in the real, real world, long enough to know that there is many values, there are many things that we should hold dear as conservative people here tonight. We really should. But we're not guilty of our broken arms and our black and blue eyes and areas that we need to, to heal up and to improve on. And one of these may be with a brother, and I don't know anything that's happening in this congregation, so I feel like I can speak freely tonight, praise God. But sometimes we can have brothers or sisters sometimes even sitting in the, in the pew in a congregation like this that can hardly even look at the other brother or the other sister. And we wouldn't be as far as to go out of the way and go, out around them and completely ignore them from, t- from uh, ignore talking to them necessarily, but in our hearts, our heart is just hard towards that individual because of something that was said, because of something that was done maybe a week ago, maybe a month ago, but there are some, dear ones, who live for years in a tense relationship because they are not willing to forgive. And we see the example here in this, on these servants. The servant that was willing, that was forgiven, was not willing to forgive someone else who paid him, who owed him even less than what he owed. And I just say, you know, somewhere we're missing the concept, we're missing the fact of how much debt we owe to our Savior, how much debt we owe to our Jesus, and yet He was still willing to love us, even when we were unlovely, even when we were very difficult, and running from Him, in fact, rejecting Him and pounding those nails into His into his hands and his feet on the cross, just like the, the actual people who were there. And we're guilty, and yet we think we have the right, or we have the justification somehow to hold my brother away, or to hold my sister away, or to hold my lost neighbor away, or to hold whoever that offender was in my life away. Friends, imagine tonight, just for a moment, just imagine if Jesus would have done that to you and to me. And yet with arms outstretched, with a heart full of love and compassion for you and for me. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A man who was despised and rejected of his own. How easy is it tonight for you to forgive someone who hurts you? And I wouldn't be surprised tonight that there are some of you here who have been tested and tried in this area more than others. It's difficult to forgive somebody when they hurt us. But how about when they do it over and over again, maybe? Peter says, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive? And Jesus' answer of 490 times or 70 times 7 means always, Peter, always. You must forgive. You know, sometimes that you think of that man that cried out to God and he said, Lord, I believe, but Lord, please help my unbelief. 
There are many of us, if not all of us here tonight, who need to pray that same prayer. Prayer. I just heard this thought the other day, and it inspired me. Lord, I forgive, but Lord, please help my unforgiveness. Lord, I forgive, but please help my unforgiveness. Please forgive me where I'm not willing to forgive another. And you know what? Jesus says, I will not forgive you if you won't choose to forgive your brother. I think of that verse in 1 John where God says, How can we love God whom we have not seen with our eyes? We don't know what God looks like necessarily and like we know each other tonight. He says, How can you love God whom you have not seen if you can't even love your own brother whom you have? Wherefore, this is a sign that you are my disciple if you have love one for another. And an unforgiving spirit, friends, diminishes and takes away that love. And don't think for a minute, if we're an older brother here tonight, don't think for a minute that our young people and our youth and the others who are looking on don't see that kind of action and are making those kind of choices, whether they want to be a part of the church or whether they want to put a foot in the world and go out there and sew up what's out there because it's not real attractive what's in the church anymore because people are fighting and there's not, people are not getting along. And it's easy to come into an unfamiliar setting like this and think, well, surely they don't have those kind of problems here. But then you begin to think, well, we live in the real world. And we're really sinners tonight, saved by grace. And we need the help and power of God to be living life differently, a holy life that is separated from what the world... This is all that the world knows. And that's why the world wants to get rid of that. They're sick of it up to here. And there are many people who are going out and they're shooting themselves up with heroin. The... Uh, The percentage of drugs, of of heroin that's being used today is is phenomenal. And people are tired and sick of their life. And they're looking to you, they're looking to the church, and they're saying, do they have something different besides just them getting together and patting each other on the shoulder and saying, I love you, or are they really able to work life out together? And they're watching your life and mine in these areas. Sometimes we have to choose to forgive daily. We have to pray and seek God and say, God, I don't have it. We need to go back like that mother last night who says, God, I don't know how to raise these sons for you. Just acknowledge, just just admit it. I do not have within me a heart of love for you, brother, tonight. I do not have within me a heart of compassion towards you like I really know that I need. God, would you please, would you please give me the spirit with which I know you, you have and will help me love that brother. I remember as a young man, I'll share this story, it just came to my mind, a young man coming into a church service, sitting back here, about four benches up, and I sat behind a man that I knew, he was actually a school teacher, and I knew that he was not at peace with our relationship. And I, I tend to be one where if there's a tension in our relationship, I want to make peace just as soon as I can, not because I'm anybody, but just that's my personality naturally. I don't like tension. And none of us like tension, but sometimes when we avoid each other and ignore each other, that tension grows. So I came in and I sat behind that brother and I wanted to talk to him just as soon as that service was over. And the amen was said and he was out that side and out in the back of the church. And I was a young man. I'd just come into the Mennonite community about a year, year and a half. And that spoke hard to this young man. Like, what the world do I think I'm doing? Why am I coming into a conservative Mennonite group, Mennonite church? And being treated like this. This was a brother who was older than me. He knew better. But he wanted to avoid it. And ignore it. And and hold on to an unforgiving heart. And people are willing to just go all the way out around each other. And avoid the tension. the 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 disagreements. Whatever the issues might be. And many wasted years are spurned. Because of an unforgiving heart. 
We need to ask God to give us. Tonight, if we find ourselves there, we need to ask God to give us a heart that we don't have. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked like we learned last night. We need to ask God to help us in this area. Maybe just to illustrate it, once upon a time, two brothers who farmed side by side. They farmed together for 40 years, sharing equipment, working back and forth for 40 years until the long collaboration fell apart. And you know, what, you know how it began with a small misunderstanding. You know, so often the, the, the things that separate us, it all begins with little things, little small things that if we would take care of them early in the relationship, maybe, maybe we could help save the relationship too. There was a small misunderstanding which grew into a major difference which finally exploded into an exchange of bitter words and finally separation. And one day the older brother, John, got a knock on the door. He went to the door and there was a carpenter with a tool bag on his side. And he said, sir, he just said, I'm looking for a few days work. Perhaps you'd have a few small jobs here that I could I could do for you. Would you have anything for me to do as I'm passing through? And John looked at him and was like getting ready to wish him away. And then he said, you know what? He looked down across the pasture where the other farm where his brother was at. He looked back at the carpenter and he said, i got to go to town for the day and I'm not going to be able to be at home. But he said, what would be really nice? He said, you look down over here to this farm. He said, that farm over there, there used to be a pasture, a nice pasture that ran between his farm and mine. But he said, just last week, that man, in fact, he's my younger brother. He went up to the river levee and left it loose. And now what was a beautiful pasture? There's now a creek of water between us. And he said, I would like for you, if you would go out, I have a pile of lumber out by the barn. He said, would you please be willing to build an eight-foot fence? He might have done that to spite me, but he said, I'll get him one even better. Build me an eight-foot fence so that I can't even look over there and see him. And the carpenter looks at John. He looks over at the farm. He looks at John, he looks back over to the farm, he looks at John, he said, I think I understand. I think I understand what you're trying to say. He said, show me, show me where the pile of lumber is, show me the post hole digger, I'll get to work. You go do, you go do your thing. And so the older brother helped him get together the supplies that was needed and the, the brother left for, to town for the day. And the man went to, went to work sawing and nailing and putting together. At the end of the day, the farmer comes back home just before milking time. And as he pulled in the drive, his jaw dropped, his eyes widened at what he saw. He didn't see an eight-foot fence. He saw a bridge that went from his farm across the creek over to his brother's farm with the handrails and all, a beautifully carved bridge. He couldn't believe what he saw. As he got out of the, out of the car, he saw his brother, his younger brother, coming up the other side of the bridge. And he ran to his brother. They had a relationship, folks, for 40 years, and they desperately wanted that relationship. But because of their, their misunderstandings and their disagreements, they were separated, and it was killing both of them. That older brother ran up, and they embraced at the middle of that bridge, and they said, we are sorry. We Please forgive me if you're willing. The younger brother was so moved that he was willing to build a bridge to restore their relationship. And as they were there embracing and making things right and repenting, they turned and they looked, and, and they saw the... The carpenter hoisting his tool bag on his, on his shoulder as he was leaving. And the older brother said, no, wait, wait. He said, I have a few more jobs I would like for you to do. And the carpenter turned back and looked at the brothers. And he said, I would love to. But he said, I have some more bridges to build. 
Tonight, we are worshiping a God who sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to be the bridge builder in our relationships. Jesus is in the bridge building business. He wants to reconcile. He wants to restore. He wants to help men be men and say, I am sorry where we have ruined this relationship. An unforgiving spirit is a hindrance to a close walk with God in holiness. How can we love God whom we have never seen if we can't love our own brother whom we have? We can't argue with scripture. We can't argue with God's truth. The last point tonight. We have a self-righteous spirit, a critical spirit, an unforgiving spirit, and lastly, a compassionless spirit. And this is going to come from Luke chapter 15. One of the most (coughs) thrilling stories, and that's probably not the right word, but one of the most... Luke chapter 15 is one of the stories that is closest to this young man's heart. If there was anybody in my life that I would love to pattern my life after, other outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, it would be a man in this story, not the prodigal son, not the prodigal son's brother. But I would love, I want to be the person of the prodigal son's daddy. I believe the prodigal son's daddy exemplifies the person of Jesus and his unconditional love for his sons and for his daughters. And so we're not going to read the prodigal son tonight. We're going to go to verses 25 to 32 just after the prodigal son came home where there was great rejoicing. The father was rejoicing, but the older brother was not. And let's think about it tonight. Let's think about it in this way. Are we going to be the prodigal son's daddy? Are we going to be the prodigal son with our choices tonight? Are we going to be the prodigal son's brother? Which one of those three do we choose to be? Verse 25 says, or verse 24 will say, This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. There was a feast, there was a celebration, and we know it. Verse 25, the elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what those things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid. Do you hear jealousy kicking in? Do you hear bitterness kicking in here? That I might make merry with my friends. You never took care of me, Dad. Why are you taking care of my brother who went out and sowed into the sins of the world? He was out even feeding on the hus. What are you doing, Dad? I was here for working for you all of these years, and you didn't make merry for me. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And the older brother says this in disgust. And he said unto him, The father says to the son, Son, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. My inheritance is yours. Your brother has wasted his. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And the older brother had no compassion for the lost. We were just talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save 
that which was lost. And maybe there's a part of us here tonight, if we've been faithful to the church, we have obeyed the standards and the rules and the guidelines, we've been wearing the right clothing, we've been saying the right things, we've been doing it all well. And not to diminish and and undermine, again, those values in our lives, we need them. More than we know we need them probably, but it is not our salvation. And we need to rejoice when our sinner comes home tonight. And the prodigal son's daddy was looking. He was looking and he was praying and he was searching. And we know that whenever he had to run away afar off to, to meet his son and embrace him, we see just a little bit how, how desperate he was and how, interce- how he was interceding for his son. Only to rejoice but now to grieve for his elder son because of his compassionless heart. How do we get there where the elder brother's heart was? I believe one of the ways that we get there is by going back over to the self-righteous spirit, the critical spirit, and the unforgiving spirit. If we're willing to harbor those spirits in our lives, that dulls us. It dulls us, and it dulls us more and more from even caring about the sheep that are outside of the fold, for about that lost one that's out there. Friends, can you imagine tonight if Jesus was not willing to forsake that 90 and 9 and go out and search for that one lost sheep? That was me tonight. That was you tonight. That was all of us tonight. Jesus was willing to do it because he had compassion. He had pity on that one lost sheep, and he wanted him to be a part of the fold. Do you find that easy to rejoice when a sinner repents? Do you find it easy in your heart to celebrate and rejoice? You know, the Bible says that heaven rejoices over one sinner, over just one sinner, no matter their age, no matter how young they are, no matter how immature they may be in understanding at all to be a follower of Jesus. Heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. And one thing about a healthy church and a healthy body that is full of the Spirit of God is they rejoice and celebrate over that son or that daughter that has said, Yes, Jesus, I want you to come and live within my heart. And I can tell you as a man who has received text messages and receives phone calls, there is nothing more thrilling, there is nothing to me that is more important in life than to get that that phone call of saying, I gave my heart to Jesus. And to me, that's one of the surest evidences of that this is for real. They truly have met, met, met Jesus. They have truly had a born-again experience whenever they are excited about telling their grandparents, their parents, their friends, their pastors. There is an excitement that comes forth. And to me, that is a good, good, good sign. Sometimes there's people accept Jesus into their life, but you don't really see any difference. And it grieves your heart, not because you don't believe that they're saved necessarily, but did they really, really meet Jesus? Have they really found forgiveness for their sins? Have they really said, Jesus Christ, I want to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you wholeheartedly? Not just within the first week or the first month, but in in a year or two or three even later. Let's bring it home a little bit closer tonight. Is there a sinner friend? It's one thing to have it in your brotherhood. It's, it's horrible to have it in your brotherhood. But is there even a sinner friend that you hold at a distance in your heart? And that you could be barring that individual from coming into the fold, coming into the body, coming into the church of Jesus because of the bitter spirit that you are holding them out of, holding them out with in your own heart. Do you have a burden tonight for the lost? I was blessed as I hear these prayers 
every night. And they are praying. There's prayer with a burden. There's prayer with a care. And I don't know all the needs, but I can tell that some of them are, are souls who are wavering in the balance. Souls who are not sure if they're part of the kingdom of God or if they're part of the kingdom of the world. And, and these, there's people who are willing to come and to pray and to intercede and to ask the shepherd to please go out onto those barren hills and bring them in. Because we know that that's all that we can do. We can only ask him to do it. And we sow the seeds and we plant the word and we ask God to give the increase. And we know that he will and we pray in faith, believing that God will do that. The prodigal son's brother didn't have that spirit. He didn't have that heart of compassion. He was a compassionless brother. He didn't understand what all he had been forgiven, what all he had been given, even through his father, his earthly father. All he could see was the foolish choices that his brother made, and he condemned him in his own heart and mind and was destroying his own life. A good friend of mine when we were young ran around together. One day was sitting in the pew while I was preaching his grandma's funeral message. I hadn't seen him for probably eight to nine years at least since we were teenagers and running around and doing things that sinner friends will do. And all of a sudden I seen him back there and I, I, was just, I just couldn't hardly wait to be able to catch up with him again. And after the service, we were downstairs for, for the lunch. His grandma had attended our church, was a member at our church. And he caught up with me and he wanted to talk with me and I wanted to talk with him. And he, I could tell that there was some longing in his eyes. And God was working in this young man's heart and I'm going to abbreviate the story very much. He came to a place where he said, Mark, can we meet? He called me maybe just a couple of months later. He told me that day that he wanted to get together and talk. And I knew at this point he was living with a girl. He, had, he, was, he was living with a lady. She was divorced. He'd been with her for four or five years now, I believe it was. And he called me and he said, I want to meet you at a restaurant. He said, we just, I, just want to, I just want you to know where I'm at in my journey. I just want to connect with you again. And so I remember going to that restaurant and sitting across the table from him and he began to spill his journey with me, where he had been in the last just ten years, ten short years, but... Ten years that have left their scars. And as he began to, to, un, to pour out his story to me, he was the prodigal son. He was the prodigal daddy that had le- or prodigal son that had left home. And he was living in a state out in the Midwest somewhere. He was living with this girl. He, was, he began to tell me, he said, listen, he said, I came to the church soon after you would have given your heart to the Lord back in the day as well. He was from a different community, a different setting than I was. But he said, I got tired of what I saw in the church. And so he said, I left it as a young man and I went out and I began to sow to the sins of the flesh in the world. But he said, I came to a place where I didn't find fulfillment there either. So he said, I came back into the church and I asked them to forgive me of my sin. And they accepted me back into the church the second time. Until a little while. And he said, I grew tired and weary of what I saw again. And so he said, for the second time, I said, I'm done with church. I'm going out to feed myself to the world and find my fulfillment there. And so for the, for the third time, he had gone out. And now he had come to the place. He was feeding on the, the husk in the pig pen like the prodigal son. 
And he was at the end of himself as he sat across the table from me at that restaurant and tears began to come down his cheeks as he began to share. You know, I, I believe tonight strongly that God will, not dis- God will not forsake and despise a broken and a contrite spirit. And as, I, as that young man, my friend, began to open up his life and share it with me, he began to tell me as I paraphrased this story, he said, listen, he said, I've, I've gone to the church for the third time. And I've asked them if they would find it in their hearts to forgive me just one more time. If they would accept me back into the church the third time. And he said, there's, there's a plan for that. He said, we've been meeting, they've been talking. He said, they have, they've been doubting. But they're willing to talk, they want to work it through. And he said, there's a, he said I'm, I'm planning to be reaccepted back into the church on a certain date. On a Sunday afternoon, he said, it's a closed meeting. But we can do personal invites. He said, I'd like it if you would come. Would you be there? I said, sure, I'll be there. Absolutely. So that Sunday afternoon, I went to this church where my friend was going to be reaccepted for the third time. And I walked in the door, and the first person, the first person that I saw was this prodigal, not the prodigal son, as I'll call him tonight, the prodigal son's daddy. And as soon as I walked in the door, he looked at me, and he said, come with me. He said, come on, I want you to sit with me. And we came in here about... Uh, where this brother is back here, about the fourth bench back. And we sat there. And my friend was up here in the front bench, up here all by himself, head down, bowed low. The pastor stood up, he came and he opened the service and he began to say some words. And it wasn't real long. They knew that the whole meeting was because of this young man. And the way they had done in that setting is they would ask him questions and really challenge him on where he's at. How are we supposed, they began to ask him, how are we supposed to believe you? How are we supposed to know that you're not going to turn against against God again? What are we supposed to do as a brotherhood to restore you? This young man, as he sat there, the pastor looked at him and he said, I won't say his name, he said, man, young man, the podium is yours. He said, come, share what is on your heart. And this young man gets up and he comes over here to this podium right here as the pastor standing behind him and he looks into the faces of his loved ones. His, his mom and dad sitting here, his uncle and aunt who has a son, of, it would be his cousin, who is still out onto the barren hills, so to speak, tonight. They got up and they sang a song over this nephew of theirs. And the, the uncle and aunt and their son sang a beautiful hymn over their son. Pain was in their heart for their own son who was still out on and lost in the, in the deserted land. But they were praying for him. And as, as this young man came to the podium, he just, he just looked into their faces and he didn't say anything for the first 30 to 45 seconds as tears were coming down his eyes, coming down his cheeks. He just wept. He just wept and he cried. And then he began to say, and he said, look, I understand. I understand if you doubt me here today. I understand that you have questions about my life. And he began to, to open himself up and just share again where he was at in his heart and his life and, and understanding his unworthiness and his need of Jesus as his Savior and Lord. He sat down. There was a few more things said. There was a few more questions asked. And then the, the service was about to be closed. And I'm sitting back here beside the prodigal son's daddy. And just before the pastor closed the meeting, the prodigal son's daddy raised his hand. He said, can I just have a few words? And the pastor said, sure you can. And so he gets up and he comes up here and he looks back into the eyes of the congregation. He said, dear brothers and sisters, he said, I understand that where there's rejoicing for us in our house, there's pain for others. I understand if you doubt the words of my son. He said, but I want to tell you prodigal parents tonight, those of you who have loved ones who are lost, 
who are forsaking God, who don't seem to even care about the kingdom of God and building his, building his church and being a part of. He said, I, wanted to, I just want to breathe some hope and some life into your, to your souls today if I can. He said, I want, you to tell, I want to tell you that as you converse with them, as you relate with that prodigal in your life, listen carefully to their voice, listen carefully to their tone of voice. You know them well, be praying for them, interceding for them, and asking God to help you with the words that is needed to breathe life into that, that prodigal's life. He said, I was on the phone with my son as he was half, halfway across the states. He said, there was one day as I was talking to my son on the phone, he said, I could hear it in his voice. This is the prodigal son's daddy who knows his son, knows his son's voice. He could tell that he was near the end of himself. He could tell that he was hopeless in his condition. He could tell that he was desperate of some help. And so he said, I got in my car. And I traveled from state for state to state and I went and I met my son and we embraced and we talked and we worked things through. And he said, together I brought my son home. He said, I, have, I understand if you doubt my son tonight, but I want to tell you as his father, I believe. And I'm asking you if you would believe with me, if you'd be willing to find it in your heart to forgive him for his transgressions, for his sins against the church, for his sins against God. Do you find it within your own heart and life to forgive him? Tears coming down the prodigal son's daddy's face. And then he just wept and tried to encourage those who had prodigals to continually be looking and watching and interceding. Demonstrated the prodigal son's daddy that we read about in Luke 15. Tonight we're going to have to close this message. Have you been praying for the shepherd to bring your loved ones home? And I trust that you have. That's a great question tonight, but we want to just take an inner look within our own heart and life and see if there's any area, if there's any spirit within my heart that is keeping them at bay. We don't want to go on a guilt trip. We don't want to, feel, we don't want to criticize and, and blame ourselves with areas if we feel like we've freed it and given it to the Lord. But friends, we need a burden. We need moms and dads who are willing to get on their knees and sacrifice sleep and weep for our prodigals. Friends, I have a brother and a sister who are out there tonight. And there are times where it feels hopeless. It feels like they're never going to come back to God. And we, sometimes we waver in our faith and we waver in our prayers and we feel like it's never going to happen. And I think about my life that I was following the same path that they were on, but by the grace of God. And who am I to be in any better place than what they are tonight except for, for the grace of God? God, give me a heart of compassion for them tonight. Give me a heart of mercy and love that is willing to be reaching out and sowing seeds that will hopefully lead them to the kingdom as the shepherd brings them in. A self-righteous spirit, a critical spirit, an unforgiving spirit, and a compassionless heart will not allow Christ, barring a miracle which God is able to do, he is over to, he's able to do far more abundant than our, uh, overcome our failures and bring in our loved ones tonight. Praise God for that. But I want to, I want to challenge the church tonight to be sure that there is nothing in our life that is keeping that, keeping those loved ones at bay. Let's bow our heads together.